0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. We are recording this roughly a half an hour after the Chiefs absolutely demolished the Ravens in primetime on Monday night. We're going to be recapping that game as well as a few titanic matchups that happened throughout the NFL this past weekend. Uh, I can't remember the last time we had so many potential playoff previews this early in September, but uh, it, it really did feel like a playoff weekend throughout the NFL. And uh, I, I can't wait to get into it. But before we do, I want to introduce my wonderful co-host, E.J. Snyder. Buddy, how you doing tonight, and what are you drinking? I am fantastic. As you said, we had a ton of great
1: football in the NFL. We had the return of the SEC over the weekend, which for guys like me that concentrate on the draft is fantastic. But we have so much to talk about, so we should probably get into it. What am I drinking? I thought the Chiefs might have a pretty good night tonight so i stashed a beer in the fridge a couple of weeks ago called spin cycle red and it is from the no lie brew house which is short for northern lights right over in spokane washington really nice red ale right in the middle at 49 ibus 5.75 on the alcohol so you can drink this i have a 22 of it and i guarantee i will go through all of it because we have a lot to talk about so what are you uh
0: wetting your palate with tonight uh, I got a little bit of a smoky Coke over here. It's uh, the simplest, but one of the best drinks in my arsenal. It's basically a whiskey Coke, except instead of using bourbon or rye or you know whatever your normal whiskey of choice is, you use a real, really smoky eyeless Scotch like a Laphroaig 10, which is what I'm using tonight. Uh, and it it has all the best notes of a Scotch and Scotch and uh, w- or yeah, Scotch and Coke, I guess you would call it, but with that extra little smoke on the back end. And it's uh, it just kind of adds a little bit of complexity to a very simple drink that uh, that I don't really feel like I need to put a lot of effort into making at 9 o'clock on a Monday night. So. <laughs> or basically our YouTube cover image for every episode ever. Yes, yes, you'll see. Yes, that is a smoky Coke on the YouTube cover There we go. If you're familiar with it. It's phenomenal. Uh, highly recommend it. Uh, but before we get into these games from this past week, including the one we just watched tonight... We do have to get into our wonderful new segment called The Point After, where we recap all of the points that we missed from the previous week because we just didn't have time to or we didn't watch the games yet, uh, what have you. And uh, we do need to follow up on some tight end talk that we had last week. We got some comments about certain tight ends that we did not mention. And EJ, I want you to handle this one because you were, <laughs> you were definitely getting the brunt of it in terms of not mentioning uh, certain tight ends that, that went off last week.
1: Yeah, we got blasted a little bit, or tight ends that didn't go off last week. And this is kind of a caveat. We're going to couch it in terms of tight ends, but there's a lot that goes on every week in the NFL. And if you're watching the highlights of every game, or if you're watching the condensed replays of every game on Game Pass, you'll know that there's a, a ton of tremendous performances that fly under the radar. So if we didn't mention the tight end that plays for your team last week, we don't hate you. And we don't hate the tight end. And it doesn't mean that they're bad. It's just that we didn't have time to crank through the entire roster of tight ends from the NFL. So just because we didn't bring somebody up last week doesn't mean they're terrible. And case in point, Kyle Rudolph's touchdown catch from this week. We didn't mention Kyle Rudolph at all. Does that mean Kyle Rudolph is a bad tight end? No, he's actually a very good tight end. And he had a just ridiculously sick catch in the back of the end this week. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, to have that kind of body control at his size is amazing. So in general, if we don't bring up the player that you love on your team, Jordan Reed was another one that we got a lot of comments about. How could you not talk about Jordan Reed's comeback? Look, Jordan Reed's a great player when he doesn't have concussions and he is tearing it up because he's healthy again. That's great. We're not going to mention well, everybody was every healthy. Week. He, he just got uh, hurt again.
0: <laughs> oh God. Oh god. I know,
1: I know. The He's continuation again. of Yeah. The continuation of Black Sunday from last week. It wasn't quite as it was certainly not anywhere near as bad this week with injuries that was our big theme last week, but in general, if we don't mention the one player that had an amazing game from your team that week, it's just probably cuz we ran out of time. We're not doing 3-hour podcasts. I know some people would like it if we did, but That seems a little bit over the top. So we're going to try and keep it about an hour, hour and 15 when we leak over and know that we're seeing those plays, but probably not bringing up, well, definitely not bringing up every great play that happened in the NFL every week because there's just not time.
0: Uh, Speaking of not bringing up some great plays that uh, maybe we we should really pay attention to from now on, Jeremy Chin is... He's he's having himself a great start to his career, and we got some comments about not mentioning his... Honestly, you could argue he's one of the best defensive players on Carolina's defense already. Uh, and we got some comments asking why we weren't talking about him. Trust me, we've seen him. He's, again, you could argue he's their best uh, nickel. You could argue he's their best corner you could argue he could play their dime linebacker role better than anybody else on that team like he is flying all over the field i watched him yesterday because i watched the chargers game live god i mean he is so fast he hits so hard it's it's like combining all the best parts of john abram but with better like cover skills like he's yeah better he's crazy good Crazy.
1: Yeah, good. and he's playing great on special teams too, which is usually the way rookies sort of have to earn their keep in the NFL, but he's playing great as an inline defender, as you said, in multiple spots. And that's rare. My my one thing about Chin that I had reservations, and they weren't severe, were look, he's a great athlete. He knows how to hit, he knows how to cover, he's got great length couple of the games i watched he was just a half a tick slow in processing and in the nfl that's not going to get it done matt rule's staff has done a great job of allowing him to play fast and simplifying his responsibilities especially at a role like nickel that is typically more difficult to learn and has some more nuance they've limited what he needs to do and said just go do it right see it and do it and we're going to keep your responsibilities to maybe three out of the five that you'll grow into and he is playing so fast and so hard right now. Uh, we see you, Jeremy Chin. We just hadn't mentioned you. And that seemed like the
0: perfect oversight to, to, to sort of clean up in the point after. Uh, one thing that we also didn't get to mention, because I think we recorded the morning after uh, the, the Monday night game. Uh, The Saints offense without Michael Thomas, and we we saw this bear out against uh, the Packers in week three as well, but we we didn't get to mention in week two, the Saints offense without Michael Thomas is, it's not the same thing. And when you have a a quarterback like Breeze, whose arm is not what it used to be, they can't really push the ball down the field with him anymore. So they have to have receivers that can dominate at the line of scrimmage and win quickly on releases in, in the short to intermediate passing game. And win repeatedly against man coverage and just kind of get open on time for Breeze to kind of work in rhythm and they don't have anybody that can really do that. You know, we like Emmanuel Sanders, but he's not going to win with the same, you know, physicality and length at the line of scrimmage that Michael Thomas does to get open quickly. Uh, I think he's kind of more of a receiver that tends to get open later in the route when he's in space where he can separate, whereas somebody who gets open early in the route, like Michael Thomas, where like it is immediately, you know, you can throw him the ball in half a second. He's going to, he's going to be winning. So they, they don't have somebody who can do that for breeze right now. So the rhythm of the passing game is just completely thrown off. The only real passing threat I would say they have right now is Alvin Kamara. And if your best receiver is a running back, you're in trouble. So you know, like, I made a, a film room episode on Michael Thomas last year and kind of the role he plays in that offense and how important he is. And I, I speculated last year that, you know, even if Breeze was hurt, they would be able to survive, which they did with Teddy Bridgewater. But if Michael Thomas got hurt, I I didn't think they could. And now we're seeing Breeze is healthy and Michael Thomas is not. And their offense is it's really, really struggling. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would put quotes around healthy.
1: Uh, he yeah. is healthy ostensibly, but his arm looks uh, a lot like Philip Rivers' arm. It looks, it looks dead. dead. Early, it always looked dead. Well, not always. The last couple of years, it started to tail off. Certainly, into the later games, as it's gotten tired, and and well, it should. He has you know tens of thousands of reps on that arm, and just watching the highlights yesterday to really roll from the point after of last week to the sort of week three recap. I was really struck in the Sunday night game versus the Packers that the Saints offense is Alvin Kamara and the Saints offensive line. Like mm-hmm. that is their whole offense right now. Um, Hill's not contributing a ton. Thomas is out. Sanders is getting a few catches. Breeze cannot, as you said, push it down the field. It is the Alvin Kamara and a Saints offensive line show. And a lot of times it just devolves into the Alvin Kamara show and yeah. case in point, little screen pass that went to Alvin Kamara. He took it almost 50 yards for the touchdown, made about six guys miss and route. And that was all <laughs> Alvin Kamara. Like that, you know, Breeze got it out to him on a swing pass. He he maybe made three, four yards on the actual air yards of that pass and all the rest of that run, patience, skill, speed, all Alvin Kamara. It is the Alvin Kamara show right now. And if Kamara goes down with an injury... God forbid. The Saints look like a four or five win team right now because their offense is just really nothing without him. And the Taysom Hill experiment is not working. That sort of needs to stop or, or move to the very back pocket of the play caller. It's the Alvin Kamara in the offensive line show right now. And that's largely it. No Michael Thomas and half of what you used to get in Drew Brees. It's Alvin Kamara all the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a problem they've had for literally multiple years, because if I think it was two or three seasons ago, they went down to Dallas when, you know, the Saints were, I think, in the in the first seed at, at that moment. You know, they were kind of in the driver's seat for the entire conference. They went down to Dallas for a primetime game uh, and then Dallas just played dime. They put a corner on Kamara on third downs. They played really tight press with Byron Jones in the slot and they doubled him with a safety over the top and they had nobody else. They they had nobody else. And the Dallas defense, which was not very good that year, completely dominated a dominant Saints offense that season because they realized like they got two guys. They got two guys and nothing else. And now one of them is gone, and the other's having to shoulder an entire load. And you know, God bless Alvin Kamara. He gave he gave it his all, but if you're giving up 37 points to Aaron Rodgers, one guy cannot match that. Like it's the days of, of New Orleans being in shootouts are over. Like and they, they've been over for quite a while. And they really, really, really need Michael Thomas to come back. But with that being said, uh, let's talk about some games that happened more recently. In particular, one that happened within the last hour. Uh, how about that Chiefs-Ravens game? Uh, the Chiefs did look in control kind of from start to finish, uh, even even with that early kick return touchdown for the Ravens. I don't think anybody really doubted the Chiefs' offense being productive. Uh, from start to finish, they looked just completely and utterly on fire, especially in the pass game. Mahomes was ridiculous. Um, there were defensive mistakes Mentally, all over the place for for Baltimore and Kansas City is the last team you want to make mental mistakes against because they will punish you. You know, even uh, on it was like a backbreaking third and ten where just off the top of my head, kind of coming up in, coming up with an example, uh, Mahomes scrambled for a, a first down on third and ten, and they ran a sim pressure. You know, Wink Martindale died up a sim pressure, and somehow three guys rushed into the A gap and nobody was containing Mahomes on a four-man rush and it, how how does that happen like there's no way he designed it that way somebody screwed up somebody was supposed to be looping around to the end to contain Mahomes so he couldn't get out of the pocket nobody did it and so he got a free first down out of it and that, to be honest that probably ended the game like if they get a stop right there Lamar gets the ball back it's a one position game maybe something can happen but as soon as Lamar as soon as Mahomes scrambled and got the first down the game was over In my opinion, the game was over. So, again, it was... Yeah, and
1: scrambled (laughs) is... Scrambled
0: will put it. He trotted.
1: He waltzed, right? There was nobody. The full third of the field was open on that play, and he saw it, and he's smart enough to say, and you don't have to be that smart. Mahomes is a lot smarter than this as a quarterback, but he looked and went, oh, there's nobody over there for about 15 yards. (laughs) I can just start jogging, and even if they pursue... I'm gonna be able to coast out of bounds past the
0: marker, and he did. And like you said, that was backbreaking. But they kept making mistakes over and over and over again. Uh, it was yeah, it was also uncharacteristic. T- Yeah, and they also didn't make
1: mistakes, right? The coverage on Hill earlier in that touchdown, like Marcus Peters is in perfect drape position. There's yeah, but you know it's
0: it's Kansas City; they're going to get those. You know they're going to get those. No, I fully agree that you can't play the the best coverage.
1: No, you cannot make extra reps or opportunities for KC, and. It, look, the kickoff return was nice. It put them back in the game. It put them within reach. It kept them close. Kansas City kept their foot on the gas for most of the first quarter or at most of the first half, all their all their drives were productive. They created points. They definitely put Baltimore in a hole. And then an interesting thing happened. They kind of stalled out in the second half and Eric Bieniemy was marching up and down the sideline after two or three drives that ended in, uh, you know, no points uh turning it over on downs the enemy was marching up and down the sidelines lighting into the offense going look you guys need to execute and after that they came out and actually showed that they can do ball control offense like clock control ball control offense snap it within five seconds of the of the you know, timer going to zero, run the ball, grind it out. And if Casey can do that, we knew they could do the other, right? Score points at will, throw it all over the field, have a balanced passing attack. If they can grind when the weather gets bad, mm-hmm. oh, forget it. Like,
0: <laughs> what can't they do? And the answer is nothing. They can do everything. I would also, uh, on the Casey side of this, I want to point out their play design play designs period in the red zone are just second to none. The way that Andy Reid is able to scheme up ways to get linebackers in conflict, getting guys looking at the wrong thing, um the little shovel screen to a freaking fullback on the goal line. The no-look shovel the screen. The no-look shovel screen, you know, oh, throwing man. it to Eric Fisher on a tackle eligible like it's one thing for for KC to be able to score from 40 yards out but it's it's hard to score from 2 yards out just because everything is so compressed and their ability to scheme points and and rely less on uh you know rely less on just kind of using beef to to move the line of scrimmage from 2 yards out which to be honest they don't really have an offensive line that's great at doing that but they are great at Using uh, you know misdirection and everything to create space for their guys to just break the plane by any means necessary, and so their their play designs especially within the five yard line are just so on point every single week, and it, it, that also kind of ties into my earlier point about Baltimore making mental mistakes. But part of the reason why they were making mental mistakes is just because Kansas City and how they use motion, uh, how they use misdirection. You know they they almost kind of force you into mistakes sometimes. It's, oh, it's a early very in the hard game. Offense. Yeah,
1: to that point, early in the game, I felt bad for Patrick Queen because oh, yeah. <laughs> Andy Reid was toying with him early in the game. Andy Reid had an early game plan to put Patrick Reed in in compromise, in stress, and he did it to a T. He got it to the point where Patrick Queen, who's a very good linebacker, who we like a lot, who's very talented, played on a great team in college, was just guessing. He was flat-out mm-hmm. guessing because he wasn't left with anything else. There's five playmakers on Kansas City's offense in any given play, and he was just kind of throwing his hands up, going for
0: one, and Mahomes was like, oh, you're going to go there? <laughs> OK, and let, it me, was, let me alter it, my shoulder at an impossible angle and hit the number two read, you know,
1: or number four. And that's the thing is the distribution was so incredibly equitable. Not only and that's the thing is Casey is the whole package. Mahomes is amazing. Yes, we know that everybody thinks Mahomes could be plugged in in every other place and be just as amazing. And the answer is no, he couldn't. He's got a great supporting cast. He has one of the best, if not the best, play caller going right now in the NFL that you just highlighted. It's everything. It's the play calling. It's the supporting cast. It's the pacing. It's Mahomes' unreal athleticism combined with all that. There's just not really a chink in their offensive armor right now. And as a result, the distribution for the KC offense was ridiculous it's impossible to defend so the top five targets in that offense kelsey was 6 for 87 hardman was 4 for 81 hill was 5 for 77 ceh in the passing game was 5 for 70 and watkins was 7 for 62 so again that's 87 81 77 70 and 62 that is ridiculous balance And that means Mahomes is just seeing what happens on the field in front of him and going, oh, this means you can't cover that guy and putting the ball there. There is no, oh, we have to force it into our alpha receiver or, oh, our running back needs so many touches. The answer is, who's open? I'll get him the ball and that will just crack the spine of the defense wide open and they do it week after week.
0: Or when it comes to Tyree Kill and that touchdown, it doesn't matter if he's open. <laughs> he's gonna
1: throw him open. <laughs> like yeah, that, it's was a, perfect that was again, a crazy throw. That play was ridiculous. I tweeted something out that said, look, you could draw that play up on the whiteboard with perfect coverage and then overlay what actually happened, and it would be no different. Like that was perfect coverage. And he threw the ball just over Marcus Peters fingers, right into Tyreek Hill, who is not the tallest receiver. Look, he can jump for sure. And he did on that play, but the, the margin of error for Patrick Mahomes is like an inch. Yeah. And that's, you just can't beat an inch. There's the old saying that, you know, perfect coverage doesn't beat the perfect throw. And we've seen it from Quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers, we've seen it from great deep ball throwers like Russell Wilson, like the perfect throw, if they're perfectly covered, is still going to be completed. And that was a perfect throw for touchdown with a player in very, very good to great defensive position. And it didn't matter.
0: The, not to get too far on a tangent, but when it comes to quarterbacks with an air raid background, there was a very interesting segment um, on the Fox College Football pregame show with Urban Meyer and Graham Harrell, who's the uh, offensive coordinator for USC air raid guy. Uh, used to play at Texas Tech under Cliff. I think it was Cliff Kingsbury was his coach. I don't know if that was still the Mike Leach days. Um, but so he was talking and they were kind of having a discussion about how spread quarterbacks are are, are wired to read defenses versus West Coast quarterbacks versus uh, air raid quarterbacks. And they were going over a staple air raid concept from the Mike Leach offense, which, of course, Cliff Rand and you know, Mahomes has run a million times called Y-Cross. And they were showing the read in terms of where the tight end is Kind of settling himself in between defenders, and how a typical pro style quarterback, when they would see how the tight end is kind of adjusting his route, there is no universe in the world that that they would be throwing that ball because they see a defender underneath him, even with his head turned. They see a defender underneath him. They see, uh, you know, a split safety look like there. There's they would immediately move on. Whereas an air raid quarterback, he sees a little patch of grass. And he knows that his tight end, regardless of whatever the route is, is going to be running to that little patch of grass. And so he's trained to throw it to the grass. And if it's incomplete, whatever, you're throwing it high, it's incomplete. But if your tight end is on the same page as you, you know, you're you're basically playing backyard football out there. You throw it to the grass, you expect the guy to run to the grass, and it's going to be a touchdown. That's exactly what happened on that Tyreek Hill, where it's You know, Even if that's not exactly the route called, he sees a little patch of grass in the back of the end zone. He sees the leverage of the route. He throws it with the leverage to the grass, and he trusts Tyreek to go up and get it. He threw it high. Obviously, he did. That is the wiring of an air raid quarterback to make that throw, where a lot of other quarterbacks would see that read and say, nope, hell no, not doing it. Pat does it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's super funny that you say that because we're going to talk about a game in just a little bit between... Uh, the Falcons and the Bears, yes, we are going to talk about that game. And on the game-winning touchdown to Miller, Nick Foles went, hey, if I have to cancel this play, run to the L. (laughs) And Miller ran to the L and he hit it, and they win the game. Was that the one where
0: he got lit up as he let it go?
1: Yep. Oh, it's a great ball. Yeah, but he literally told Miller before the play, look, if I cancel out of this, run to the L, and I will throw it to the L. And Miller ran to the L, and he threw it to the L, and that's it. It's ball game. So it's it, it's an interesting concept that breaks down to like you said. It's almost like backyard football, and we saw a little bit of that out of Lamar tonight too, as well. He threw that ball down the middle to Mark Andrews. He was. Double slash, you know, two and a half covered, almost triple covered. But he put that ball right on his hands, right at that little seam. And Andrews had a couple of big drops tonight. That was the first one. Um, but, man, did he put that right – I mean, just bisected the two defenders with Andrews and expected his tight end to make the play. So it, it is interesting. Those are the intricacies, and it is a game of inches. And, you know, the Ravens needed every inch tonight. They needed to be perfect, and they weren't,
0: and KC chewed them up and spit them out. I I think we're going to see this game again. I wouldn't I doubt really that did. at all. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that at all. And I think it's going to be an arrowhead, uh, obviously, that time, but or next time. But uh, uh,
1: Greasy I... made a great point on the broadcast that whoever wins tonight basically won two games because there's only one bye this year. So oh, if you win that yeah. and you expect and you expect that you know both of these teams are going to be in it at the end, and you have to go to the head-to-head matchup. Casey won tonight's game, and they won the game. They don't have to play because they're going to get a buy out of it.
0: I did not even think about that. Oh damn! Yeah, no, he brought it up, <laughs> and it was true. a great
1: point. And I thought, you know, that's tremendous. And they absolutely it. This game has again. It felt like a playoff weekend in September, which is the craziest thing to say ever. But bottom line. That's the head-to-head matchup. Those are probably the two powers in the AFC. Crazy things can happen, but that seems a very likely outcome right now, and KC's going to sit back and have a bye week, and Baltimore's going to have to go earn it. Now, it was reversed last year, right? Baltimore was sitting on that, and KC had to go earn it. So it's a very interesting juxtaposition.
0: And when you look at the Chiefs' schedule, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, you know their, their biggest test... Up to, up to date was the Ravens, but they host the Patriots next week. They have a very scrappy Raiders team the week after that, and then they have the Bills in Buffalo, who are also Oof. 3-0 right now. The next three weeks for Kansas City, if they get through a gauntlet of a, a division game against the Chargers, who seemingly have the one defense that can give them problems. And they won that one in OT. You get through the Ravens, you get through the Patriots, you get through a good Raiders team, and you get through the Bills all in your first six weeks. I won't even count the Texans because we suck. Uh, I mean, (laughs) what else is there? Like, what what other major tests are there? The Saints? Maybe. Do you remember when we circled,
1: and this is just a, I'm shedding a tear virtually for, for COVID in general um and there are much bigger worries in a, in a covid world but do you remember like 3 months ago the schedule came out we circled that game we circled KC at the Bills and we went you know That's if Josh your... Allen plays well like this is a game we want to go to like we want to yeah. be there for this game and we weren't we weren't sure we didn't think there was a huge chance of that but i remember very honestly having that conversation on the phone with you and being like no no the yeah This is going to be a game like if Allen doesn't go straight in the tank and he's quite frankly gone exactly the opposite way. He is ascending like a rocket right now. And Mahomes is already in the stratosphere. Like that game's going to be so fun.
0: You know, why don't we talk about that Rams-Bills game since we're on the topic of Allen? I was going to say
1: that it's sort of the rams Rams Bills is is the Chiefs Bills light, right? Cuz you've got Jared Goff instead of Mahomes, but we both thought this game was going to be a ton of fun. And it, you know, started off really lopsided. I was watching the Bears game at the, at the time that it was going off, so I was checking out the highlights and it was 21-3 and then it was 28-3, which I didn't <laughs> expect and I thought, "Oh, maybe I was wrong. Maybe this game's really just going to be a blowout and you know rams didn't come to play and oh well you know that you know chalk it up to any given sunday and west NFL. coast
0: team east coast time zone you know it happens sometimes yeah.
1: and then it revved right up to a really dramatic finish it was in the late game very much like two boxers just slugging it out standing mm-hmm. there and going toe to toe and unloading and it got to be really fun um, my question is can we call this the robert woods revenge game <laughs> Uh, because he was a bill and now he's a Ram. And honestly, uh, like Robert Woods is a player that I, I liked coming out, uh, when he was drafted and he had a pretty good start to his career in Buffalo, but I just don't think given his game on Sunday, we give him enough credit for being a very good, well-rounded football player, not a wide receiver, but just a really well-rounded football player. He had some jet sweeps for yards. He knows how to find the soft spot in a zone. He had a ton of catches. He definitely powered the Rams offense through the he early part blocked of that game. his
0: ass off, too. They ran counter lead behind him. Like they mm-hmm. used him like a fullback on some plays and it worked. No, and that's what I mean when I
1: say football player. I don't mean wide receiver. I don't mean he had some highlight catches or a touchdown or anything else. He had rushing yards. He had receiving yards. He was blocking. This is a guy that plays for your team in all phases. And I think he gets overshadowed a lot in the fact that he's played on some offenses where there've been more talent, certainly with the Rams. I wouldn't say he's the preeminent talent. People like Cooper Cup get a lot of a lot of press. Um, you know, Gurley, now Henderson are getting more press than Woods. Woods is always, oh yeah, Woods, that guy, right? He's the number two. Brandon
0: Cooks when he was there.
1: He's such a good guy glue football player right yeah that it's i think he just sort of he's one of those players that slides under but if you watch that rams bills game which turned into a great game robert woods was a huge part of that storyline so i just wanted to give him a shout out late in the game sorry rams fans questionable pi call that sort of continues this game but Oh, there there's it, no question about that one now. Yeah, it was it was not great. That one was let's, bullshit. Let's not Yeah, let's real. not mince words. It was there were some bad calls in a lot of games and this was a very bad one that, that hinged a pivotal game and that always hurts more. But the the point I want to make is not to rub salt in the wound. Josh Allen made a statement to the rest of the NFL. This game mm-hmm. was basically tied or very close, going into the final minutes, and Josh Allen made that particular leap of uh uh-uh, uh put the ball in my hands. I'm going to make a play. I want it. Give it to me. Nope. We're not running it. We're not doing anything else. Put that ball in my hands. I'm going to make a play. Throws it to the tight end. Ball game. Bills win. Big game. Again, early in the season feels like a very big game. And that is a statement for a guy like Josh Allen, who has continued to move every year and has made a huge move this year to say, nope, late. You're going to put it in my hands and I'm going to win the ball game.
0: Uh, beyond Josh Allen, which I did a film room on him last week, by the way, kind of showing his mechanical changes that he's done. I mentioned that last week on the pod as well. The the, the new kind of mechanics that have helped him become more accurate passer. Um, beyond him being a more accurate passer, though, I think that Brian Dable's play calling this year has been phenomenal. In, in terms of off the of charts, off the charts. His sequencing, his designs, like it's. I don't want to say it's very reminiscent of like a peak Josh McDaniels type performance for him as a play caller, but it, like it's pretty damn close. Like it's close. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, we, we talk so much about how coaching matters in this league, and it's not just about the talent on the field, but his ability to put all of his talent, you know, Stephon Diggs, John Brown, uh, you know, Beasley, Knox, Singletary, who had a great game. You know, he's contact balance incarnate as I tweeted out during the game. He's he's so talented. But Dable's ability to put all that talent in position to succeed has has really helped this Bill's offense turn into, you know, not just a good one, but a great one. And uh, I, I don't think he gets enough credit for the job he's doing. He doesn't
1: at the moment. He will as this goes on, because he has been an integral part of this. And it's again the handshake between the player and the coaching in the off season uh, i heard this this week josh allen uh ran into tony romo and his first question is what do i need to do to be better and mm. romo gives his answer about what alan needs to focus on and alan goes to work on it and dable says the same thing like he goes and self-scouts and says what can i do to help this guy he needs to make the leap physically i need to make the leap mentally as a coach with sequencing with play calling and, you know, the Stefan Diggs thing looks very prescient now because they didn't have that receiver, and now they do. And Diggs mm-hmm. made a, a handful of what I will call sort of seminal critical plays to keep that game moving in the right direction. And it's, again, all these pieces coming together, the supporting cast, the quarterback improving himself, the play caller deciding that he needs to use those elements in a different way rhythm like when you see that sort of synergy occur that's when teams get good and the bills are they're not just threatening they are showing they are proving they are doing it every week the bills are getting good and they're going to be a tough out all the
0: way through the year speaking of really good play calling really good play design and being a tough out they the rams were down 28 to 3 with eight minutes left in the third quarter. You know what their run-pass balance was leading up until their final drive when, when they took the lead uh, on a rushing uh, touchdown from Daryl Henderson? 14 runs, 14 passes. Perfect split. <laughs> oh Nope, no panic. Stayed committed to the run because they knew, hey, we can rip off explosive runs. We can get 12, 15-yard chunks. We string a few of those together. Guess what? We're in the red zone. And once Sean McVay is in the red zone, he can find a way to get points. Their commitment to doing what they do well and not getting away from their identity. Keep in mind their percentage of plays, uh, their their rushing percentage out of total offensive plays is highest in the league right now, even over Baltimore. Like they run the ball literally more than everybody else. That is what their identity is. Whether they're in the lead or they're behind, they're going to run the ball because that's what they do. That's what keeps Jared Goff comfortable. That's what sets up all of their explosive passing plays because they make them look like all of their running plays. That's what sets up their screen game, in particular their play-action screen game, which is the best in the league, in my opinion. Like, their offense has to be run through the run game. And Sean McVay's commitment to that philosophy, even when down 28-3 to with, like, 20 minutes left in the game, uh, that's commendable. And it worked, or at least it almost worked. Um, if yeah. there, if there was no pass interference call on that fourth down, they would have come back from a three score deficit or a four score deficit by running the ball. That's, that's amazing.
1: Yeah. It's, I'm glad you brought up Henderson because Henderson is powering this running game in a way that, uh, I've been waiting for him to sort of ascend to that role while Gurley was there. He wasn't going to do it. And I, I, have watched this with particular interest because Darrell Henderson was the player, the one that I was sure the bears were going to draft the year he came out. (laughs) And I, I had a, I had a Twitter interchange about this today with, with a follower. And I said, look, the reason I got that wrong is because I read what the bears wanted wrongly. Like I thought they wanted that element more than anything else, which is explosive plays. And if you watch Darrell Henderson in college, that he was the best explosive playmaker at the running back position that year. And I thought that's what the bears are lacking. That's the key they're looking for. They want to open up those explosive plays on the ground. And Darrell Henderson is the guy. Now, I didn't think they had a shot at Montgomery. Honestly, they didn't. They traded up to go get him. He slipped a little bit. Super happened with David Montgomery. This is not any shot against David Montgomery, but I was dead set that what they wanted was explosive plays. Turns out the Rams wanted explosive plays. They haven't really had a chance to employ Daryl Henderson in that role. He is growing into that and he is ripping off those chunks. And when the Rams do what they do, which is they are the most multiple out of the same three formations in the entire
0: NFL. They I feel like probably, they can run every single play in their playbook out of bunt Wright. right right <laughs> like, and yeah, they, they literally run 85
1: to 90 percent of their plays out of like two and a half sets yeah. and when you do that it's amazing and again when you're powering it with the run as you said the run balance most people would not think of a mcveigh offense that way but you're absolutely correct it's run by that you need that running back who can rip off chunk yards and Darrell Henderson has started to emerge as that threat that I thought he was when he was drafted as a guy that can absolutely go get those yards and power an offense like that and I'm happy for Henderson Uh, you know ostensibly I'm happy for the Rams because they got what they bargained for and that commitment and his ability to deliver on it made it so that they were there and they made it a game when they were down twenty-eight to three, which is amazing in any sense.
0: And Cam Akers isn't even healthy yet. Imagine when this backfield Yeah, imagine when this backfield gets fully healthy and you got Henderson Mm -hmm. who's super explosive. He's got juice. You got Akers as your backup. You got Malcolm Brown (laughs) as your number three they will never have to pass again
1: performer down the stretch. (laughs) That's that is a luxury. Most teams don't have is to go fully two and a half or three deep going to Malcolm Brown, a guy that has produced when it's been on the line and having, you know, Henderson who is your rip guy and acres who is your grind guy. And then Malcolm Brown on top of that. It's an embarrassment of riches having just gotten rid of Todd Gurley. Come on. That's, that's a
0: lot of talent in the running back room. A lot of talent. Like, this this Rams offense is for real. And um, I, I think the fact that they put up, what was it, like 25 points or something like, or no, yeah, 20, 25 on, a, I think, a very good Bills defense that had Tremaine Edmonds coming back and Milano coming back. Um, like, that's, that's tough sledding. It really is. So I, I think this Rams offense is for real. I think they're going to continue to be highly productive in the run game. And um, man, it's... They're they're fun to watch, and I'm going to be doing a film room on them, by the way, and kind of some of the bum, concepts. Bum, that bum. They, I know, <laughs> I know, self promo, but um, no,
1: I love the self promo, but it's people are waiting for that, and they should be because it's going to be a lot of fun,
0: especially with how they use motion, which is kind of the the main point of it, and, and how they kind of stole a little bit from baltimore's run game and how they design their offense tonight notwithstanding because they kind of got away from their identity which was a mistake that sean mcveigh used to make and now seemingly doesn't as he doesn't get away from his identity he uh, self-scouted so. too i mean we talked about that with brian dable right mcveigh went away after he
1: got sort of embarrassed at the end of the season and went huh what do i need to do he's a very sharp guy and ironically he... embarrassed by baltimore yeah and he went wow i thought that was gonna work and that clearly did not work in the final result what do i need to do and we're seeing those changes right that the team that got embarrassed against baltimore would
0: not have clawed its way back against buffalo in buffalo no no especially a red hot bills team like that's this this is a even though they lost uh he said with asterisks all over the word lost um This is a very good Rams team, and now that Arizona lost, uh, you know, because they got upset by the Lions, like, this is a wide-open NFC West, you know, the Seahawks are great, the Niners are kicking the shit out of teams with backups, Arizona's explosive, I legitimately have no idea who's going to win this division. It is downright outrageous how good it is. Did you see the differential between the NFC East and the
1: NFC West? Oh, it's it's got to be it, the be point enormous. differential from the NFC East is negative a hundred, and all oh. four teams are negative. The NFC, or it's like negative ninety-seven. The NFC West point differential is plus one hundred. Good
0: God!
1: The difference between the NFC West and the NFC East is two. Hundred points in point differential in three weeks in three weeks <laughs> four teams each three weeks you're talking about minus 97 versus plus 100 like if that's not
0: the tale of two divisions i don't know what is and what sucks is one of these nfc west teams is not going to make the playoffs <laughs> and one of these <laughs> nfc east teams is yeah that's <laughs> yes uh.
1: That is a uh, truism, and we'll have to get around that. But we have one more game we wanted to talk about at the lead before we get into the Blitz. And strangely enough, I presaged it earlier, it is Chicago, Atlanta. And I got to say, we're getting towards Halloween. We're not there yet, but it feels like fall. I don't know if it does where you are, but you know, we've got leaves down, there's dew in the morning, the temperatures are cooler. And right now, there is nothing scarier for a fan in football, than the Falcons with a lead.
0: <laughs> that is God. like a horror movie in the making I, after the I, last I don't think two we weeks. have any Falcons fans left listening to this podcast because I, I, I think One they of all them died. tweeted at me today and they said, It
1: sucks right now. And I was like, Well, there's your understatement of the week. You've been <laughs> gutted for two straight weeks. One because of, well, some very questionable late game choices, including not touching an onside kick because you didn't think you could until it went 10 yards. That was a whole different thing. The The Falcons marched into their home game against the bears on Sunday down six of their 11 defensive starters. And oh yeah, by the way, their all alpha wide receiver. Julio Jones wasn't going to play either. So and their offensive line has not been great. Their running game has not been great. Look, Calvin Ridley's been all world for most of the year. Matt Ryan's Matt Ryan. But they were so gutted on defense. It was really about whether or not Chicago could put up points on a gutted defense because the Chicago defense, pretty good. The strength of the Chicago defense in the secondary against Atlanta's strength as their wide receivers and their quarterbacks. Like, honestly. Chicago had gone from, maybe they'll win to, man, if they don't win this game, I don't know what. Well, (laughs) two-thirds of the way through this game, Chicago was struggling mightily to put up points. Atlanta was keeping with them. They were rushing the ball very effectively. I know I just said passing, but they were rushing the ball very effectively. And you get into the sort of final third of the game, and you're like, wow, Falcons are not only making it a game, they're kind of in control, and the Bears are struggling and then the Falcons started to
0: falcon, and that that's where we'll pick up our story. So here, here before we before we continue with them, I want to give you a little stat here. Oh, it's just it's a little the, stat. It's one, sure it's one of the craziest. <laughs> I mean, it's a it's a big stat, but it's one of the craziest ones I've ever seen. So last week, the Falcons lost a game against Dallas that they statistically had a ninety nine point nine percent chance to win. Oh God. I know what's coming. <laughs> this week, they lost a game against the Bears that statistically, they had a 99.1% chance to win. You know what the chances are of a team losing games back-to-back that are 99.9% and 99.1% chance to win? Infinitesimally small. <laughs> One in 990,000. Basically a million if we're rounding up. One in a million. Literally a one in a million thing. In all likelihood, we will never ever see a team suck this much in back-to-back weeks in games that they should have won than the 2020 Atlanta Falcons. This is statistically damn near impossible. And yet the team that once lost a Super Bowl after being up 28-3 to managed to outdo themselves in back-to-back weeks unbelievable
1: it's staggering as an as a falcons fan i i you know look they have they have a point of reference in their division which is the ain'ts right you know that they'd put the bags over their heads and say ain'ts on them and just leave the s off because the saints were so bad at that point like the falcons fans have a (laughs) have a role model in their own division at this point they it's gotta be so crushing and i just want to say that like Dan Quinn is a better head coach than Adam Gase by a mile. He, it's not even close between those two, but right now in the eyes of NFL decision makers, those guys are on the hottest of seats. Like Gase can't win a game to save his life. And we kind of knew that anyways, but Dan Quinn's got a fairly talented roster and oh man, he's just not producing with it. So the flip side of this yeah. coin is Mitch Trubisky has led the Bears to 2-0. and He is competing, we'll say valiantly, in the Falcons game, but ineffectively, as usual. He is not throwing up points. And Matt Nagy, the head coach of the Chicago Bears, makes a very gutsy call to pull a 2-0 and starter in a game that is not out of hand and say, all right, kid, give me the ball, sit it down. We're handing it to Nick Foles. And what happened after that, uh, especially if you're reading the shade out of Chicago was pretty remarkable. So I know you watched the last quarter of this game. What did you see as a change in the bears after Foles takes the reins? It
0: just kind of seems like, they just started hitting on the big plays that they didn't used to hit. And that was just kind of my gut feeling when I watched it at first. And then I saw uh, the tweet from our buddy Jonathan Wood after the game, which kind of put some numbers to my gut feeling. And he said that, uh, quote, and I'm quoting him, Chicago's passing game shows a really interesting split that Mitchell Trubisky has thrown 86 of 115 Chicago passes so far this year. That's 75% of all passes thrown, obviously. Nick Foles is responsible, however, for 5 of their 9 explosive passes over 20 yards on the season. And that's just in one half of play. Not even a half of play. I think he came Not a
1: even play. a half, yeah.
0: And he's already thrown for over half of their explosive pass plays. That in itself shows why even though his completion percentage was relatively the same as Mitch, the fact that he was able to hit on explosive chunk plays and get this offense moving down the field, that's the difference. That's really... I mean, they were... Again, this was this was a game that they should have lost for all intents and purposes. Uh, but the fact that they have a guy like Nick Foles, and I've, I've seen this personally, you know, when he was still with the Eagles and my Texans were way up on him and he was able to make that kind of fourth quarter comeback. We saw it in the playoffs. Uh, in the year before that, in 2017, like he's a guy who... Has no qualms about chucking it deep down the field and letting his guys go make plays and actually connecting on those explosive plays, whereas Mitch, for whatever reason, just never could. And so now that the Chicago offense has an explosive element to it, you know, will they be more efficient? Maybe, maybe not. But the fact that they can make up for a lack of efficiency with explosiveness every now and then that's kind of the missing ingredient that they didn't have. And they're going to win games like this where, you know, maybe Foles hits at like a 62% clip, which isn't great by, by modern standards, but it'll still end up with like, you know, 300 yards and three touchdowns because Allen Robinson is able to capitalize on his deep balls. And so is Anthony Miller. And um, you know, Monty can get stuff going in the screen game. You've got some tight ends we like, like I trust Cole commit to be a decent pick now a hell of a lot more with Foles at quarterback than I ever did with Mitch. Yeah. And a couple of things you hit on a
1: lot of the relevant points here that are going to get sort of regurgitated over and over again in Chicago media this week. But Foles is better at throwing the ball where yards after catch is possible. Mitch is terrible at that. And he routinely makes guys reach for screens. Uh throws the guy, throws behind his guy on a crosser, meaning he has to go to the ground to make the catch. That's it for the play. Foles is a willing to throw it up for those bigger chunk plays down the field and let his receivers make plays. And two, he's more accurate in that yards after the catch game. But if you listen to all the shade. Coming out the low level shade, what you can read between the lines is that the coaching staff's quarterback was not playing for the first two weeks. Mike Furry, who's the wide receivers coach, uh, former wide receiver, you might recognize his name. He played for Detroit, among others, when he was in the league. He's a very intense wide receivers coach, and somebody asked him about a back shoulder throw during the Atlanta game, and he said, We haven't seen those a lot for the last couple of years, but we're going to see them now going forward. And if you're reading between the lines, that (laughs) means Mitch can't throw that ball. Nick can. We're going to have that in our arsenal now. And another one that came out that was really interesting that we were talking about pre-pod tonight that you said, oh, we got to put this in the podcast was... I talked about the throw it to the L on the final play and that's more dramatic but a less dramatic thing that an experienced veteran quarterback is going to do in a modern offense is say I understand where I'm going with the ball based on a defensive matchup and I'm going to do everything I can from shifting protection to shifting alignment to maximize my chance in that play. There's a play after Foles came in As you said, not even a half worth of play came in about midway through the third quarter where he saw the alignment and he realized that the play he wanted to make based on defensive leverage was out and downright on the boundary. So he literally pulled his tight end in and said, nope, you're going to stack up on the end of the line and I'm going to pull my slot receiver in three or four yards. And the reason was because that's going to give me three or four more yards worth of space when he makes his break on the sort of deep out that it's going to allow me a little bit more margin to get Mm -hmm. that ball in to the sideline. And Mitchell wasn't making those kind of adjustments because he was not recognizing pre-snap here's the defense, here's the leverage, here's my play, where's the exploitation, where's the mismatch? What can I do to fine-tune that to give myself an even greater chance of success? He was see it, throw it, and he has a good enough arm and look good enough legs. He made several first downs over the last couple of weeks using his legs, and that's not Foles' game, but Foles is smart enough to say, I see what they're doing, I know what we're doing. If we do this, it's gonna give me 10% more, 15% more, whatever it is. It's going to give me a couple of more yards, which we've talked about it before. Game of inches is going to allow me to be more successful. And you're going to see that as he sets in. Now he's been named the starter going forward. And until he screws it up or gets hurt, make no mistake. This is his team. And Nagy couldn't be more thrilled about it because we're going to see that kind of execution. And that hasn't been on the table with Mitch to this point.
0: I don't think he'll screw it up per se. Um, Like, I'm still going to be salty the entire year that they didn't sign Cam. Because Cam is a guy that raises the ceiling of a team. Nick is the guy that can at least raise the floor of a team. And I think the floor of this stacked Bears roster is still a playoff team. With Mitch, I think the floor was so low that, like last year, you missed the playoffs. Um, But with Foles, I at least think they can get to the dance. With a healthy Cam, I think the floor goes up and the ceiling goes up. But again, anything can happen in January, and now I legitimately think they have a chance to get there. They just needed, at minimum, average quarterback play, especially with that defense if they stay healthy. You know, if if, uh, Robinson stays healthy, if, um, well, unfortunately they just lost Tariq, but if Monty can stay healthy, like, this is a very, very, very good football team that just needed competence from their most important position and now i think they have it which to me makes the bears extraordinarily dangerous and they're already three and which means they're neck and neck with the packers in what should be a pretty competitive nfc north um I don't, when do they play green bay do you do you know uh it's not until i think it's week seven i don't know right off
1: hand but their first six weeks are very winnable there is there is a very real chance, and I, I throw this out there with all the Bears haters, I get it, but because of, again, a stacked defense, a competent or just averagely performing offense with a bunch of talent, the schedule makers were kind to them, and they could legitimately run off 6-0. and
0: the Colts defense is good. They face the Colts defense next week, which is a big test. And then they face the Tampa defense in week five, which is another huge test. If they can get through Indy and Tampa, I feel pretty good about about them going up against the Packers in week seven. Actually, no, I think it's week eight because the Packers played Texans in week seven. Um, but I feel pretty good about that because the Colts defense is rocking and rolling right now. And the Tampa defense, especially at the linebacker position, is just ridiculous Like Devin White and Levante are are having an unbelievable season together so far. You got Vitave in the middle. Like that's going to be a huge test. But if they can get through those two teams,
1: I'm fine (laughs) if they split with those two teams.
0: Quite frankly, if they beat the Colts and lose to Tampa, the
1: the impact of having Foles have starter reps from now on and getting familiar with Anthony Miller, getting familiar with Darnell Mooney, getting familiar with with Robinson and where he likes the ball thrown. Um, making sure that the mesh with Montgomery is right where he needs it to be, understanding the line and protections and talking to Cody Whitehair all the time about what do you want me to do here? This is what I see, what do you see? That can't be underrated, and that's going to build week over week that kind of synergy as long as Foles stays healthy and stays in the lineup is going to come due in week five, week six, week seven, and on down the line. They're just going to get better. He came in without starters reps late in the third and won a game that they had no business winning and, quite frankly, left two extra touchdowns on the field. The Bears under Nick Foles could have five touchdowns right now, which is insane considering he's played a quarter and a half. So... All of this is going to build going forward, and the outlook is certainly brighter than it was before a couple of days ago.
0: You mentioned a name that I totally forgot to bring up, and that's Darnell Mooney. I I saw a tweet. I can't (laughs) remember who made it. I I think it might have been you that made the tweet where Mm. we don't don't know when it's coming, but it's coming. There's going to be a Darnell Mooney game where that dude rips off 150 yards because he's got juice. He is explosive. The thing that kills me about
1: Mooney is Juice was the thing that put him on my radar, right? At Tulane, he was the deep guy. And I thought, hey, if he comes in and he's that sort of early career Johnny Knox deep guy for the Bears, that's enough. That's an element they're lacking. Um, Gabriel just never really, for whatever reason, gave them that legitimate, like, take the top off deep threat. Gabriel was a very productive receiver his first season in chicago but he never gave that bernard barry and johnny knox like we're gonna go streak and you got to put somebody over the top so that was the whole thing about mooney yeah that was the whole thing about mooney and mooney has exceeded expectations at every turn he's a better blocker he's a better route runner he is, he is second right now in snaps behind Robinson, and that's for a reason. It's because he's more consistent than Anthony Miller in terms of hitting his marks and being where he's supposed to be. Miller is extremely hot and cold. When he's hot, he can win you the game. When he's cold, he's going to be your fifth or sixth receiver. He's incredibly Miller talented. literally has won them two
0: games so far. Yeah, <laughs> he's but he two is not touchdowns. consistent. But, yeah, it doesn't show up in the first three quarters.
1: He is super hot and cold and Mooney has been more consistent. So he has actually earned number two starters reps for the last two weeks for Chicago. And that blows my mind because Mooney does not have a huge frame and he's a rookie. And look. Rookie wide receivers usually take a little while to heat up. And the fact that Darnell Mooney is number two in the Bears offense right now is stunning. The amount of progress and the amount of work he's put in since he's been drafted out of Tulane is really amazing. And when that game happens, I don't say if, when that Darnell Mooney game happens, the rest of the country is going to go, who? And people that have been paying attention are going to go, that's right, it was coming.
0: If you have space on your fantasy bench, now is the time to get him. I'm not saying drop anybody for him, but if you're dealing with injuries and you just need a body and you and you can afford to stash him, you you might want to do that. Just just saying. You you might want to do that. He's he's ridiculously talented. Super super explosive. But yeah, we're we're a Mar- uh, we're a Darnell Mooney stand podcast. For yes, sure. we are.
1: Yes, we are. We loved when he got drafted. We called him uh, K.J. Hamler light, and he might end up equaling K.J. Hamler's numbers because K.J. Hamler's trying to catch the ball from Jeff Driscoll, but we'll just, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> oh,
0: you mean Blake Bortles?
1: I, yeah, yeah,
0: maybe. I, I hope I, not. We might get God. Bortles versus Darnold Thursday I night. I know, just saying. I
1: know. It's so
0: horrible. I don't, Talk Which, by the way, it. there was a there was a report today, since uh, we're not going to be recording another podcast before Thursday game, there's a report today that came out that if the Jets lose that game, Gase was gone.
1: Oh, I hope so. so. I, I really hope so, because everybody, this is my counterpoint for everybody that says, oh, Chicago could have drafted Mahomes. I'm like, yeah, and you know who their OC would have been? The same guy that is currently ruining Sam Darnold and absolutely wasted Tannehill in Miami right Dowell Loggins would have been Mahomes offensive coordinator with his first year in the league and if you think Patrick Mahomes would be the Patrick Mahomes you see now who had Andy Reid as his head coach and Matt Nagy as his quarterback coach you're nuts if yeah, you think Dow no Loggins way. would have produced the Mahomes we see now after what Dow Loggins has done, you're nuts. So, I mean, Sam Darnold, we're not gonna get into this, but Sam Darnold looks like a broken man right now. His press conference this week was the saddest uh, thing I saw in the NFL. It was
0: depressing. It was so, it was depressing. so
1: depressing. And that's what Dow Loggins brings. So everybody that's like, you could have drafted You know, I actually think Watson would have been better off because Watson's just more self-sufficient, but Mahomes needed a strong hand for his first year and he got possibly the best one. We just talked about this at the top of the podcast. Andy Reid is a play caller, as as a quarterback developer, like he landed in the best spot and he didn't have to play right away. If he had started for the Bears under Dowell Loggins, there's a great possibility that one of the transcendent generational players in the NFL... Would have been wasted by the coaching staff.
0: God, I I shudder to think, and I'm thankful every day that that did not happen because Mahomes is must see TV. And even though he just kicks the shit out of my Texans every single time, uh, I I I wouldn't want him to be anywhere else other than KC because just as a football fan, uh, I I love. Oh, it's watching tremendous! It, so. It's
1: the best. Like it's I the tweeted best. out tonight just watch what Mahomes is doing. He is so special. You need to appreciate this. Like this is not normal and that's why when we were talking about top, you know, three or four quarterbacks in the league a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, we said, "Yeah, we're not talking about Pat because Pat's just in his own <laughs> stratosphere." <laughs> it's
0: like it's we're obvious. talking about yes. the
1: tier below that, which is Russ and and Aaron right now, and that's fine. Like they're that's tremendous, but they're not Pat. Like, they just
0: can't do Pat things right now. Like, even Lamar, who's coming off of, you know, unanimous ridiculous. MVP Lamar's season. Ridiculous. Lamar's ridiculous. And he's Ladar, so Lamar's crazy, uh, but Pat's, Pat's pat. Pat just clearly outclasses <laughs> him. It's, it's
1: not even fair. I mean, Lamar has to play almost a perfect game to compete with Pat, and Pat can throw ridiculous passes off no-base jumping that are, as he's getting sandwiched by two guys, that are spot on in a first down. It's, it's just gotta be so frustrating as a defender.
0: He's just different.
1: He's just yeah. Different. Very, very different.
0: But All right. We should get into the blitz or we're going to be here for like three hours, which, you know, I'm sure some people listening wouldn't mind, but uh, I'll, I'll <laughs> We've let tried you start that up. before. <laughs> We've tried it before. Ugh. Didn't go well. <laughs> so week three blitz,
1: I'm going to start us off with a Thursday night game because, uh, it was Miami and Jacksonville or Jacksonville, Miami, I should say, uh, The Dolphins are playing with heart. It was an absolutely gutty win. Look, you can say whatever you want about Fitz. He had 198 total yards. Barf. That's not great. But three TDs and absolutely would not let this team or himself quit. And that's a huge thing. This is a team that started off last year, quote unquote, tanking. They're being led by... What I would say is obviously their backup quarterback. They drafted Tua. They're waiting for his hip to get completely healthy before they unleash him. But this team is playing with guts and with heart. We talked about our free agent in the sort of free agent offseason period about the Dolphins front seven being this collection of guys from all over that were sort of cast offs that were just going to combine and come in waves. And that's happening. They got at least a half a sack from Grugier Hill, Van Noy, Ogba, Seiler, and Van Ginkle, question mark? Like, I didn't know who Van (laughs) Ginkle was before Sunday. Uh, And Shaq Lawson was also in there having pressures, even though he didn't come up with a sack. So this idea of grabbing all these guys, keeping them fresh, rotating them through, and having them all hit really hard for five downs and then rotate out is exactly what Miami's doing. So that's pretty cool to see. James Robinson... Last week on the podcast, I said he was quote-unquote the truth. He came out on Thursday, put up 17 touches for 129 yards and two scores. He's not leaving the lineup anytime soon. Jacksonville is set and, quite frankly, improved from having Fournette, who was, what, the number four overall pick at running back, by getting an undrafted free agent in James Robinson from Illinois State. Anytime anybody tells you that you need to draft a running back high, just hold up like Philip Lindsay, James Robinson, like it happens often enough. You can get production from that position and they are getting it out of James Robinson. And then some, my favorite stat from Thursday's game is that he had more receiving yards in Thursday's game than he had all of last season. I think he had 82 receiving yards on Thursday he had 80 oh. in his senior season. So, wow. Yeah. Good times. Uh, And then Keenan Cole, I want to give a shout out. We talked about these guys that when you watch all these highlights, when you watch all these games and condensed, uh, you know, week after week, you get a feeling for these guys that don't have name or sort of brand recognition that are consistently making catches, making sacks, making good run stops that maybe aren't getting the publicity or definitely aren't getting the publicity. And keenan cole is a guy had another nice little glue game for jacksonville big catches to keep drives moving and one nice kick return on top of that for 24 yards this is a guy that again no headlines for keenan cole but when they need a first down late in the third quarter and they need to keep the drive moving Minshew's going to keenan cole and he's he's tiptoeing along the sidelines and picking up 11 when they need 10 like very good um extremely low cost to acquire a player in terms of a team building philosophy. We see you, Keely Cole. You are having a a very solid season in the early going.
0: 100%. Agreed on all counts. Uh, My first game that I'm talking about is Titans Vikes, which was pretty much the most prototypical Titans game you've ever seen where Derrick Henry's getting almost 30 carries. He grinds out over 100 yards, a couple touchdowns. Tannehill's taking deep shots off play action. Um, you know, you you finally get some efficient special team. You know, Goskowski went six for six uh, in field goals and got the game winner in the end. So he's he's had kind of a nice bounce back after some early struggles this season. But it was it was a very Titans game. The one thing that I think was. Um, a little bit rough was in the defense department. It seems like uh, Jeffrey Simmons was the only Titans defender that really showed up to play. You know, he, he had a huge game, but you know, Dalvin was still ripping off eight yards of carry. Uh, Justin Jefferson finally had that uh, huge breakout that we've been expecting. This it was, was the this week. <laughs> this was the week. I definitely didn't think it was going to be this early. Like, we knew, like, I this is going to sound sacrilegious. I know there's some Vikings fans listening to this. Justin Jefferson's the most talented receiver on that team. Uh, I know that Adam Thielen's really good. Justin Jefferson's really, really good. <laughs> like he's, he's the reason why they were okay with trading away Stephon Diggs is because they can get somebody who I think is similar talent level to Stephon Diggs, and that's saying a lot for a lot cheaper because as a first-round pick, he's a lot cheaper than Stephon Diggs is as a veteran who's already got paid and will be paid again you know, seven for a buck, 75 and a touchdown when he could have had even more than that. There was a couple really nice pass breakups. He almost had, uh, over 200 yards and two touchdowns, but I think it was Butler that got a hand in and broke up one on a deep cross yep. uh, from I remember correctly. But I mean, he was just ripping them up, you know, whether it was short, whether it was deep, um, you know, catching fades on the boundary, making stuff happen after the catch. I mean, he was tremendous. And I think, um, you know, when you remember Stephon Diggs' rookie year, he also had a slow start to his rookie campaign, wasn't getting on the field as much. Um, and then I think it was about week five where Diggs went off and then he never left the field again. I think Justin Jefferson just had that game, but even earlier than Diggs did. I don't think he's leaving the field again. I, I think this coaching staff sees like, hey, this kid's a difference maker uh, and, <laughs> and we we got to use him. So I think he's going to get a heavy Heavy target share from now on, potentially even over Thielen, because as much as we love Adam Thielen, like I said, Jefferson is just, he's more explosive in every single way.
1: Yeah, the only comment I've got about that for the Justin Jefferson game is, you like that? <laughs> <laughs> because Justin Jefferson, we had talked about him extensively. You'd studied him coming out of LSU, focused on him a little bit pre draft. Very, very talented, and, um, very multiple in his receiver skills. He was not a you know deep ball boundary receiver. He's not a, a short hook and cross receiver. He was a guy that could win on multiple routes and did with Joe Burrow at quarterback consistently. Like he was a guy that always mm-hmm. produced. We were just waiting for that to show up. Uh, we were trading uh, training camp. Uh, shots of video back and forth as they were the little snippets that leaked out of training camp of justin jefferson making insane snags in training camp going "Mm mm-hmm yep yep mm -hmm." (laughs) that sounds about (laughs) right (laughs) yeah and you know it this was the week and we i don't think either one of us thought this was going to be the week titans defense pretty good uh but no uh, justin jefferson picked his own birthday and this was the week so i don't think he leaves i don't think i would want to face kirk cousins if you told him you were pulling him for some reason um kirk's gonna become his new best friend because yeah seven for a buck 75 and like you said he easily left 200 you know over 200 that was in a half by the on way the field yeah it's no <laughs> tremendous production so we're going to go from something very happy, which is Justin Jefferson's uh, coming out party to something that's terrible, which is the felony that is Cincinnati's O-line. Um, we talk about them a lot. <laughs> we, have considered, we have considered this since the beginning of the season. We've gotten on Bobby Hart specifically fairly hard. He deserves it. He has some awful, awful reps. We both like Joey Burrow, and we don't want him to get killed. And this week was... Rough. he got freaking punished he got hit early and often and was on the ground a lot uh ended up in a tie which is ridiculous considering how much his offensive line was completely dominated so we talk about that and that's kind of old news but i would say somewhat slipping under the radar is the denver o-line and they were a little bit of a concern. We talked about them on our preview episode of having lost their, one of their starting tackles, right? Their starting right tackle opted out. We thought, oh, that's, that's not great, but they could probably overcome it. We're big fans of their center. Lloyd Cushenberry saw him at the Senior Bowl. Believe he's got a very bright future. But over the last couple of weeks, specifically, they played Denver, or, sorry, Denver played Pittsburgh last week. Pittsburgh absolutely took them to the whipping post, and that line looked as sort of discombobulated and overwrought as I've seen any offensive line in a while. This week they played the Buccaneers, and Shaq Barrett had a very triumphant return to Denver um, and oh, gave them, them the same type of trouble. And they've just looked completely disorganized and overmatched over the last two weeks. And that's really, I think, on the coaching staff. The talent isn't as low as Cincinnati's in terms of overall talent level. But the bottom line is, look, they're giving Jeff Fritschko and maybe Blake Bortles, uh, very little chance to use all those weapons that we've talked about. We talked about them being a Ferrari on offense and having speed. And we talked about Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler and Cortland Sutton before he got hurt and Fant and on and on and on Philip Lindsay and Malcolm, or, you know, Melvin Gordon, like all those guys, right. And the bottom line is they're getting about a second and a half right now before their quarterback has to run for their life or just duck.
0: And yeah. it's going to be the undoing of this team. That already is the undoing of this team. Yes, indeed. Uh, <laughs> uh, my next point is the undoing of the Seahawks and the Cowboys. Both uh, Both of their defenses are just ass. Especially the pass <laughs> defenses. Uh, there's no. There's no other way to describe them. You know, Seahawks that. are allowing 430 so yards. I mean, it's true. It's I, true. I, I'm with you. And this
1: point is that the the back end of both of these defenses, the front seven, have some ability, right? Puna and Jaron Reed played the run very, very well for Seattle. Alton Robinson had a decently flashy debut. All that's great. But if you throw the ball deep against medium to deep against either one of these defenses right now, it's free yards. You're, you're almost guaranteed to complete it. Your percentage is going way, way up. And it's the stat that killed me was the Seahawks are currently allowing... All right, are you sitting down? I know you're sitting down.
0: Are you buckled in? Are you grabbing both arms of that chair? I'm, I'm a little bit buzz, buzzed right now, so there's nothing you could say that would surprise me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they are allowing 430 yards a game God. through the air. Not total. We're not talking about total defense. We're talking about just passing. 430 yards through the air for the Seahawks. You know what they averaged at the height of the Legion of Boom?
0: Half that, maybe.
1: Less, a buck 72.
0: Jesus. Oh my right? God. A buck
1: 72. You're on 430 versus a buck 72. Both of teams these Teams crossed that in the defenses. first
0: quarter. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Both of these teams right now on the back end are complete sieves, And that's giving them too much credit because sieves stop something for a couple of seconds right? And they don't right now. If you watch the highlights, it was just long pass after completed long pass. And you can say, oh, that's a great job. Russell, that's a great job. Dak, that's a great job. Gallup, Cooper, you know, Tyler Lockett. Oh, that's amazing. And then it just keeps going and going and going like the Energizer Bunny. And you realize, oh, they can't stop anybody through the air, either one of them. And this is going to be... Not just an Achilles heel, this is going to be the major weakness that they're going to have to overcome if they want to go, either one of those teams wants to
0: go into the playoffs and compete. But what's really weird about it, Quentin Dunbar is a really good corner. Quandre Diggs is a really good free safety. Jamal Adams is a transcendent strong safety. Bobby Wagner is one of the greatest coverage linebackers of all time. KJ Wright's pretty damn good in coverage too how the hell is this happening? I honestly, I haven't done the film study on it enough to know what's going on, but I kind of feel like I have to do a film room on this defense because there's no reason a team with that much talent, and they do have an extraordinarily talented secondary, there is zero reason for them to be this horrible. I
1: fully agree, and the Cowboys have a decent amount of talent in their secondary as well. It's not as good as the Seahawks, but it's certainly more talented than what they're putting up in terms of stats right now they are an very easy out in the back end of that defense right now and it is that's rough that's not the kind of thing in the passing nfl that you can compete with
0: yeah i don't know it's i i I really do have to do an episode on this just because i never thought I didn't even, like, this was one of the things that I just didn't even think was possible. Like, 500 yards a game. No, if you told me
1: with all that talent, especially after the Adams trade, that they would be putting up four and a half hundred yards or allowing four and a half hundred yards through the air, I would have laughed you off the podcast. And here it is. Like, this is the difference between a roster and what happens on Sundays, and it is stark like just watching those replays it was very stark that neither one of those teams ended up in a shootout 38 31 both bunch of points from both teams but man the passing was just a free fire zone on both sides it was crazy
0: yeah Anyway, before this blitz becomes definitely not a blitz at all, what's your yep. next point? <laughs> oh, no, I wanted to talk a little bit
1: about the Chargers. And Austin Eckler and Joshua Kelly might not be the two names that come to mind if you're thinking of top running back tandems in the league. And I'm not saying that they're the best. What I'm saying is they are extremely productive right now, and a lot of people are probably not giving them their due. Uh, Austin Eckler had 23 touches for 143 yards and a TD. Joshua Kelly had a very nice eight for 43. That's 5.4 per touch. That's a very good running back combo right now, and almost nobody would bring them up in that conversation. But they are getting it done. Again, Austin Eckler got paid. Joshua Kelly was a guy we were high on at the Senior Bowl, who we thought could come in and contribute as a second or third running back. He has looked extremely good through the early season season. And while we're at it, and I realize this may be a sore subject, Justin Herbert played really well for a guy in his second NFL start. He was 35 of 49, put up 330 yards, kept him in contention, one TD and one pick, agreed. They didn't beat the Panthers, but that was largely not his fault.
0: I, well... The the pick before halftime, uh, it was a, it was a bad pick. I'm not gonna lie, it was a Justin I, I'm Herbert with you, type. But you know, second NFL start, second NFL start. But he he threw it into a hand corner against cover three, which is something you should never ever do. And he paid for it. It's a bad pick. Uh, Trey Boston almost got him twice. Boston mm-hmm. almost got him on a pick six on a crossing route that he just threw behind his man. Speaking of,
1: did you notice that Dante Jackson's pick, the one that that did get completed as an interception if you want to say it that way like jackson looked really fast on that return oh my
0: god he was flying i was like he whoa was i had
1: no idea yeah. that dante jackson ran a four three in pads but it sure looked like
0: it he accelerated yeah. like a shot he was cr- he was a fast student on the field in that play i mean he yeah. He was crazy fast, but yeah, Herbert. I mean, he had some he had some beautiful throws. His best throw of the ba- uh, throw of the day got called back on a I think it was a hold. It might have been an OPI. It was a deep shot to Mike Williams. Beautiful ball. Yep, yep. Um, you know he had he had some really good throws. He had three throws that either were picked or should have been picked. One of them should have been a pick six, but Boston dropped it. Um, so, but it was the same. It was the roller coaster. You know, it was it was you know a lot of screens a lot a lot of screens a lot of play action a lot of dink and dunk a few shot plays like it 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 looked like Justin Herbert at Oregon both the good and the bad Uh, I hope that it it's more good going forward because the picks will kill him uh especially like it I don't want to say it's like Daniel Jones but Daniel Jones he'll have like Four or five really, really good throws a game, then four or five really, really bad throws a game, and you just, you just need to eliminate the bad ones. That's it. You don't need to have more than four or five really good throws a game. You just need to not have five really bad throws a game. So if Herbert can eliminate those handful of really bad throws, he's gonna be, he's gonna be fine. Uh, but that, that part is still the work in progress. Fair enough. Uh, now my next point. Uh, I, I watched the highlights for this game. I haven't watched the full thing yet, but. Uh, Miles Garrett and Carl Joseph on that Browns D. This is probably the best game the Browns defense has played all year so far. Um, that hit that Carl Joseph played. I can't remember who he hit. Oh boy. The vintage. guy he hit,
1: yeah, the guy he hit can't remember who he is because Carl <laughs> Joseph erased him. Early tone setting hit that looked very much like his tape at West Virginia he and blew he his ass of- up. Yeah. <laughs> You saw some of those with the Raiders, but I was waiting to see and Joseph just plays better when he gets one of those in. He did in college, he did in Las Vegas. Uh well, Oakland. Uh he definitely did for Cleveland on Sunday. Early tone setting sort of bone crunching hit and then came back later and got a pick. So pretty interesting to see that and Garrett sacks were fun. <laughs> did you see the
0: strip? Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, he's so he crazy. sacks a guy, and while he's going
0: down, he manages to just rip the ball away and recover it, and ends up but on the his, ground. His like. body control, his <laughs> awareness, his bend and burst—I yeah. mean, he is uber talented. He—he's. I'm not saying he's um, Aaron Donald, but in terms of like physical package, he's one of only like three guys in the league that I would put on Aaron Donald's tier in terms of just pure athletic freaks of nature that do not come around that often. Like he is the defensive end version of Aaron Donald physically to me. And he's one, he's one of a very small group of people that could make that play happen. Yeah. We
1: just wanted to give a shout out to the Browns D we've talked about the Browns a little bit on offense. They're starting to come together, but those two guys really set the tone for them on Sunday and it was it was fun to watch. I was a Carl Joseph fan coming out of West Virginia. Uh, Miles Garrett obviously was on everybody's radar coming out of college. Um, has had his ups and downs, but they are rounding into form and that defense is is putting pressure on people at, at the front level and the back level. Uh, the return that Joseph had off his interception gave the Browns very nice starting field position. So if they continue to make plays like that, uh, the Browns are going to have a much better chance because look, the guys, they have an offense. Holy crap. I'm, I'm sorry. Nick Chubb is the best pure running, running back in the NFL.
0: Yeah, them's like, fighting words. I, I understand you know. <laughs> that it's going
1: to be a thing, and and there are other going running... leave comments. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there are other running backs that other people are going to like better. We talked about Alvin Kamara. We talked about Austin Eckler. We talked about all these guys that are good, talented running backs, great talented running backs. Um, Nick Chubb with the ball in his hands running the ball i think is the best pure running running back now don't come after me in the comments and say well he's not a good receiving he's not a good blocking that's not what i'm saying i'm saying as a runner nick chubb does some ridiculous things on a week in week out basis and maybe it's not a completely well-rounded game definitely not so much as some other running backs but in terms of just being a pure runner You'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that makes more plays just on the ground than Nick Chubb does. He is so good running the football.
0: I don't disagree.
1: Well, there we go. We should move on to the Niners. The Niners, we talked about them with our Black Sunday episode of all the injuries. Um, Seemingly with half the team on IR, including many stars, they demolished the Giants. Yes, I know it's the Giants still. There are so many teams that would have come out and been in a shootout with the Giants and been like, well, half our teams on IR, what do you want? Coaching matters. Drafting Mm -hmm. matters. Shanahan and his staff just reloaded and crushed them 36 to 9. They just reloaded and rolled. We saw Brandon Ayuk's first touchdown in the league. I thought you'd be excited about that. But the bottom line here is San Francisco didn't stutter. They had no Kittle, no Bosa, no Garoppolo. Like, they just came out and ripped and didn't miss a beat. And that is why coaching matters in the NFL, because teams that are not well coached, like, oh, I don't know, the Giants or the Jets, would have come out and gone, well, our stars were hurt. What did you want us to do? And the answer is exactly what Kyle Shanahan and his
0: staff did on Sunday. Also, um, Daniel Jones. oof. Daniel Jones, Oof.
1: we we didn't talk about this. We probably should have put it in the point after, but a stat flashed up, and it was actually last week that Daniel Jones had, I think it was, now it might have been turnovers. I might be mistaking it. I think it was fumbles specifically, and they said 13 fumbles in 16 games.
0: And I was like, wait, what? He fumbles like once a game on average? At this point, <laughs> it might be even more than that. Did you know that... In the Super Bowl era, no starting quarterback ever has had more turnovers per game than Daniel Jones. Uh, I knew he
1: was competing for the title. I did not know he was in the top spot. But he's got it.
0: He's the champion. He beat out Nathan freaking Peterman, who threw twelve picks and he's only started four games. He beat Nathan Peterman for most turnovers per game.
1: Well, if you're dropping the ball literally once per game, pretty much literally once per game. More than that now. I'm just like what what? Like I wasn't aware. I knew he fumbled more than average, but there have been some very good quarterbacks that had fumble issues. I get it. But literally once per game, I don't get it at that point. Like I, and you talked about it in your film room episode and you were right. He has no clock. He has no peripheral rush sense. He just doesn't quote unquote feel the rush. And that's going to contribute to the ball getting knocked out of your hands. I get it, but that kind of consistency on a negative stat—whew, boy, that's—I,
0: I just don't know how you stomach that as an organization. Yeah, uh, it. I mean, but this time next year, I think we might see Trevor Lawrence in blue. Just saying, we're we're, we're on that trajectory. Could be because the Giants are—they're bad. bad. They're real bad. They're really bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, let's talk about something good, which is another yet another bounce back week for kickers. I know I mentioned Goskowski uh, going six for six on the day with the game winner. He had Sly from Carolina going five of five because that charger's red zone defense is really stingy and just would not let the Panthers in for most of the game. but still if you have a strong kicker that's reliable, guess what they put up points they won. Uh, you know they they are I think kickers are more of a difference maker for offenses that are what's the word less reliable you know it's one thing to have average you know the ones that are not going to be able to punch it in consistently like say Carolina um you know Tennessee obviously I think is a good offense you know with Henry and you got Tannehill who's dealing but they were also struggling in the red zone and for for a team that isn't Kansas City for a team that isn't you know, say Baltimore or Seattle. You know, for a team that doesn't have an extremely hot quarterback with a great offensive play caller, that that's really gonna, uh, you know, have your team being elite in the red zone. Having a great kicker like Goskowski or or Sly this week, that can still at least get you points reliably and not have you waste possessions is key for winning a football game because most football games are won with less than seven points difference. So again, you you cannot be affording to miss field goals and uh, big ups to those kickers that were able to kick a lot this week and still go perfect. Yeah. When you go back to the highlights, it's just like, and he kicked another
1: one and he kicked another, and he kicked another one. And specifically with Goskowski had some very notable struggles in the first week of the season. And a lot of times teams have a very short leash Look, Mike Vrabel knows Goskowski from his time in New England, and he stuck with him, and it paid off for him this week. Six of six—that's a career high, even from his time in New England. Goskowski's never hit six of six, so big difference maker. And look, you're going to win a few games ugly, and kickers are going to help you do that, right? You're not going to get that perfect. Oh, all four of our first possessions turned into touchdowns, and then we waltz to a win. It's going to be the grind it out late, and you know both of those games were.
0: Largely decided by the kickers, so well, Matt Rule. Look at the gets Rams his, game. Yeah, they, they they missed a 52 yarder, and that ended up being the difference in the game. Absolutely, kickers you know, are going to get you matter. a winner
1: too. Absolutely, every year, and Matt Rule can contribute his you know totally attribute his first win in the NFL to his kicker, five for five. So pretty pretty good for them. um I am pained to bring this up as a Bears fan, but the Packers. Almost hung another 40-burger on a team for the third straight week. They missed by three points. They hung up 37 points on the Saints, and the Saints' defense is not a bad defense. The Packers' offense is just humming, and the scary part is they did it without Devontae Adams, who's a top, probably three wide receiver in the league, if you ask all the other wide receivers. Um, Devontae Adams is a guy that a lot of guys try and emulate his game. Aaron Rodgers is killing it. Alan Lazard stepped in had a massive game, went off six for 146 with a TD, including a 72-yarder. To be able to have a guy step in in the absence of very big shoes like Devontae Adams and go off and contribute and have your team almost hang another 40 points on a very good defense, look, the Packers are playing at a very high level right now.
0: It's scary. I just wish their defense could frickin' tackle. Because their offense is good enough to, to win the game almost by themselves. Um, my last point is sticking with the NFC North. We gotta give the Lions some credit. You know, they they really hung tough. They pressured Kyler, an emphasis on the word pressure, into three picks. A couple of them were pretty bad picks by Kyler, but he was under duress for a lot of that game. They were underdogs going into it, they were able to upset a very hot Arizona team. Uh, if I remember last year the the Lions Cardinals game was was a weird one too. I think it ended in a tie. they did uh, they so, tied. I actually ended up getting a cover
1: bet at the end of the year because they tied
0: yeah so these 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 two teams, regardless of how good or bad they are, kind of play each other tough. It's weird uh, but yeah Detroit was a huge underdog by like seven points and and they they got it done. Um, Jonah Jackson, who I mentioned a couple weeks ago. He just continues to be a stud. He's really good in pass protection. Only four pressures in 120 pass-blocking snaps. That's elite right there. That's elite numbers, especially for a rookie. Um, Just really, really, really solid guard. Uh, Okuda, uh, he had a little bit of a rough week last week, but he got a huge pick undercutting DeAndre Hopkins on a deep cross. Again, that was one of those kind of bad picks that Kyler threw, but uh, big ups to him for... For kind of bouncing back after a a rough a rough week two and you know putting his stamp on that game because those picks were honestly the difference in the game and uh, yeah I got to give all the all the credit in the world to the Lions um, this season if they dropped this game against Arizona this season was probably going to be over for them to be honest because I I wasn't sure they were going to be able to crawl out of a hole especially in this division where you got two other teams that are already three uh, zero that was a massive massive win that potentially could have saved them for the rest of the year so uh but yeah that'll wrap up the blitz for the week um any closing thoughts for you ej a
1: couple of quick ones keep an eye out for the new bootleg logo we're pretty proud of it uh it's showing up pretty much everywhere we spruced up the youtube page if you uh watch slash listen to the podcast on youtube We've got the new banner and the logo up there. It should be displaying on all the podcast outlets now, too. Uh, Keep an eye on Twitter as some of your favorite football writers and analysts will be getting their (laughs) custom bootleg shirts in the mail. Uh, You might see that pop up uh, over the next few weeks, so uh, look for the one that you like the most because we'll be putting up a store here over the next few weeks so you can get your very own bootleg merchandise. Uh, what do you got going on for film room? You 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 presaged a couple of them.
0: Yeah, so I'm I'm working on one on the on Sean McVay's kind of tweaked running game right now, and kind of how it relates to the passing game, and kind of motions and how they use that. So that should be coming out, I think Wednesday, probably Wednesday night. Knowing me, I was gonna uh, say so Friday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well contractually it has to come out on wednesday so oh so it's coming I out on know. wednesday okay, okay. so eleven fifty-five p.m on wednesday night let's just say <laughs> that yeah i don't know what the hell i'm doing the week after that so i'm open to suggestions if you have any comments uh or at least ideas for uh for week four film room feel free to leave them in the comments because i am wide open for the next topic
1: and thank you very much to everybody who has been listening who has been watching who has been interacting with us on twitter lots of good ideas from you guys lots of points for the point after things we missed or questions about hey what do you think i even got some draft questions this week about hey what do you think about a quarterback if this guy bombs out do you think this team will draft him a little bit early for that but i'm absolutely open to it We appreciate all the interaction. We appreciate all the guys and gals out there listening, um, writing in, um, putting comments on YouTube, all that stuff's fun for us. We try and interact with it as much as we can when we're not producing all this great content. Uh, but in the meantime, you can of course follow Brett on Twitter or on the film room. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the draftsman FB or on my other podcast bears over beers. We're having some fun there with a three and O team that we didn't expect, Uh, but until then, uh, we're going to be watching for week four, because if it's anywhere near as much fun or jam packed as week three, we might just pass out from exhaustion. No, not really. We're professionals. We have endurance for this kind of thing, but we will see you next week. So, uh, listen up and we will see you
0: soon. Later.